Good morning. It is Kale and Company live right here on WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. And happy to say, returning to the program today, the uh, Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, CitizensCount.org, Anna Brown. Anna, good morning to you. Good morning, Ken. Always uh, great to have you along with us. It has been a while since uh, you've been on the show. And I guess the biggest news from the uh, Senate last week uh, was there a vote against the recreational use of marijuana pretty much along uh, party lines. Uh, your thoughts on that? This was not a really surprising vote to me. The senators who had been new to the Senate this year, who everyone was watching closely to see how they'd shake out on the marijuana issue, had been a little cool in interviews and comments in public about the bill. So I wasn't terribly surprised it went that way. What did surprise me was <laughs> Governor Sununu coming out the next day and saying, oh, I would support marijuana legalization if we use the state-run model similar to liquor stores, because that was a total turnaround from any position he's taken in the past. I mean, last year he did say he would be open to that, but that's very different than putting out an entire press release and saying, it's up to the legislature, let's do this. Yeah, where, where did that come from? Uh, I, I mean, it must have uh, surprised the, uh, the Republican senators that, uh, that voted against it. Absolutely. And it did put them, I think, in a little bit of a hot seat, right? Because now if they're facing pushback from voters saying, we support this issue, why haven't you moved forward on this issue? In the past, I could say, well, Governor Sununu was going to veto it anyway. Well, now that doesn't look so likely. They are saying, though, that, all right, maybe this is a second year issue. We don't need to push this through in the last few weeks of the session. So I'm still not convinced that this is the year it's going to happen. But You never know, especially with budget negotiations happening. If the House wants to play hardball and really push this issue forward, it could happen. Yeah, and uh, I I guess uh, a lot of people are are hoping that it does, but uh, we shall see. What what do you get the sense, uh, you know, because uh, there was one senator that came out and said the vast uh, majority, uh, it was a representative, and uh, I, I can't recall who it was. But nonetheless, he, he said that uh, he thinks the vast majority of people in New Hampshire are pro-legalization of uh, recreational marijuana. Do you get the sense that's true? Well, when you look at polling over the years, it does seem to be that way. Yes, there was some conflicting polling numbers cited by other senators that suggested okay, if you phrase the question differently and you provide more options, people might not prefer that outright legalization. I will also point out that when Citizens Count surveyed legislative candidates on this issue, when we noted a difference between state-run stores, similar to liquor, Mm -hmm. versus um, private legalization, versus legalization where people can grow it and use it, but there's no sales or taxation, There was a lot of diversity there, and a lot of times legislative candidates said they'd prefer one over the other, but when it comes down to the line, if they're presented this or nothing, they'd probably still go for it. And I think a lot of residents in New Hampshire are looking at Massachusetts, looking at Maine, and saying, what's what's the point? We're right next to these states. Why not just get a little bit of revenue? And, you know, yeah, it's definitely been a shift in public opinion nationwide on what sort of harms are there. 
But as uh, Senator Bradley uh, pointed out, uh, I mean, our our drug crisis here in New Hampshire has been uh, widely reported everywhere. And is it a very good look to legalize marijuana when we still have a a drug crisis uh, here in in New Hampshire? Well, it's interesting because... That is actually an argument that does come in with some legalization proponents with the idea that, okay, if we leave this illegal, it's more likely to have painting from fentanyl or other drugs that we're seeing that are being added into these things. And that causes more harm then. So there was a certain argument that this is a bit of a harm reduction measure and that by controlling it, regulating it through the state, we can reduce some of the harms that are contributing to the drug crisis. That would be the argument. I mean, but you are absolutely correct that many senators on the floor were saying, you know, this is still the wrong time for New Hampshire. And in fact, one senator said, you know, people call us an island of prohibition. I call us a drug-free oasis. We did get some criticism on Twitter because I don't think that our state is a drug-free oasis when you look at the totality of the drug crisis, but the point was taken. Yeah, uh, so we shall see uh, where this goes. But uh, as you pointed out, certainly Governor Sununu surprised a lot of people uh, in in the uh, in the aftermath of of the vote, which was taken uh, last week. Another another bill, a Senate Bill uh, two seventy two, uh, the Senate's Parental Bill of Rights is uh, controversial in a sense. It's being called by some as anti LGBTQ plus. Uh, what are some of the provisions uh, of that bill? So the interesting thing about SB 272 is it's different than the bill that came forward in the House earlier this year, which was also a parent bill of rights. And so SB 272 focused very specifically on schools, whereas HB 10 was a little broader. SB 272 also gets very specific about, you know, Schools would have to tell parents if they were asked about gender identity, um, extracurricular activities, those sorts of things. There is an exception in the bill if school personnel have a, quote-unquote, actual and objectively reasonable belief supported by clear and convincing evidence that sharing information with the parent would result in the student being abused or neglected. There are paperwork requirements. There there could definitely be an argument that this is too onerous. Um Parents could also school, sue schools under the law. So, as I said, a little different from HB 10. I think on reading it, though, if anything, it's, it's, it's a little stricter because their version of HB 10 that at one point came up for the vote, there was a version of it that didn't even mention gender. So this is definitely going to be a hot debate. I know that legislators have undoubtedly been getting lots of calls from both sides, and I think it's ultimately going to come down to the wire of attendance. Yeah, as it as it sometimes does, quite quite a few uh, 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 bills just come down to attendance. And, oh, absolutely, uh, yeah, especially yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. So, you ready to talk a little bit about the budget? Yes, the budget is <laughs> kicking along in the Senate. So, as we know, it passed the House, and it was a bipartisan voice vote, which is virtually unheard of. It's yeah. really incredible. So, when we're looking at the Senate side of things. There are already a couple conflicts that are coming up with the House. And the first one seems to be immigration-related issues. Mm. Senate committee just voted to restore border funding, a so-called Northern Border Alliance, which is more for um, 
funds for state police equipment and overtime at the border, grants from municipal and county law enforcement that operate within 25 miles of the Canadian border. And then they also took out a House provision that would require public notification before border and immigration checkpoints. So that does seem to be a point of contention between the House and the Senate going in two different directions there. They do seem to agree on increasing Medicaid provider rates, although where exactly that falls has yet to be seen. And then we're all waiting to see, okay, what's going to happen with the housing funding or if there's any other zoning restrictions or rules that might come into play there. What about child care funding and scholarships, the pay rates for state and employees, and where are we going to end up on Medicaid expansion? Mm, yeah. At this point, there's clearly bipartisan support for that, and the showdown seems to be between the House wanting to limit the extension, saying, okay, we're going to have to review this again in two years or five years or eight years, and the Senate saying, we should renew this in perpetuity. This is a really good program. We don't want to constantly be coming back to the legislative process. It makes it harder for the department to plan out and all that stuff. So right now, immigration... And the length of Medicaid expansion seem to be the two points of contention, but there's still all those other aspects on the table that the Senate has yet to hash out. And uh, I know when Governor Sununu sent his budget to the House in February, there was a significant uh, increase for Medicaid uh, beneficiaries and uh, other uh, vulnerable uh, vulnerable populations. So uh, I, I guess that's a point of contention at this at this stage. Well, it's more how high is it going to be, and um, actually both the House and the Senate are looking at higher levels than what Governor Sununu introduced in terms of Medicaid provider rates. Um, so that, that, once again, does seem to be agreement that there is a critical issue there. But yeah, w- where it falls is the point of contention. Anna Brown is with us, and uh, Anna is the uh, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. Always great to have Anna on the show. Can you stay with us uh, for a few more minutes? Absolutely. All right. Anna will stay with us as uh, we take a break here on Kale and Company Live. A reminder that we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. We'll take a break. Anna Brown will uh, rejoin us after... Uh, We hear from uh, some of our great sponsors right here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Kale and Company live right here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Great to have you with us. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Anna Brown is with us, the Director of Research and Analysis for Citizen Scout, citizenscount.org. We were talking a little bit about the budget before we uh, took the break. And uh, there, there are so many things involved in the budget. I mean, it is really uh, an, an all-consuming uh, type of uh, piece of legislation. And uh, more subsidies for school lunches, uh, for example. More subsidies for school lunches could be on the way, Anna. Yes, that's been a hot topic ever since the COVID-19 pandemic, because at that point, there was basically a waiver process for students to receive these free lunches. And ever since then, it's been a little bit of a problem of 
is this paperwork getting filed? Are the students getting food, getting food? Because, of course, inflation has impacted all of us. If any of us who have gone to the grocery store have seen, you know, this is a struggle. So imagine how much harder it is for a family that was already struggling to put food on the table. So there are several different proposals at this point. Not sure which one might make it into the budget. There's been proposals to increase eligibility uh, in terms of the income limits based on the federal poverty level. There have also been bills that are looking to do automatic certification based on Medicaid. So essentially, if your family is eligible for Medicaid, then you would also be eligible as a student for the free or reduced ice lunch. So, yes, this is a, a, a... Sadly, a hot issue in New Hampshire, but we're going to have to wait and see exactly how it shakes out. And uh, child care is being addressed uh, as well. Yes, and this is interesting because there were a few bills in the Senate in particular that they passed and then tabled, which is can be a signal during a budget year that they're interested in putting this into the, the their final version of the budget without even passing it over to the House in the first place. So there were a few different bills that were looking at... Um, expanding scholarships for students themselves, children themselves, but also uh, subsidies for employees in terms of trying to get them into the recruitment positions that we're looking for. There have also been a couple other interesting programs that are looking, or excuse me, bills that are looking at changing licensing a little bit. I know that Senator Donovan Fenton was looking at adding a new certification based on some amount of high school education for people to work in daycare. There was another bill that was looking to modify the requirements for smaller daycares or child care centers that are at small businesses, for example, so that maybe they can have a more diverse set of ages assigned to each teacher. So lots of different ideas on that front. But as I said, I'm looking at the Senate in particular to see if they're really going to be the one that pushes to add more funding. Since I think that there was not a ton of that in the House budget considering what a hot topic it had been going into the budget debate. And it looks like there's going to be uh, some changes made in uh, the funding of uh, postpartum care as well. Yes. So that's looking to expand Medicaid coverage to 12 months postpartum. And so that is part of the budget debate. It's also part of a standalone bill that was called the New Hampshire Momnibus. It was sponsored by several moms in the New Hampshire Senate. And right now that is tabled in the House. It did pass the Senate. So once again, we're seeing, okay, this might get folded into the budget. So in addition to the Medicaid expansion to 12 months postpartum, that bill did also require employers with six or more employees to provide sufficient space and breaks for nursing employees. It also sent more funds to family resource centers and required the Department of Health and Human Services to establish a network of early childhood behavioral health support. So, yes, once again, this is one of those um, bills that I'm looking got tabled in the Senate and, yeah, could could be put more broadly into the budget. Anna Brown is with us from uh, Citizens Count, citizenscount.org, uh, the Director of Research and Analysis. And uh, I know as part of the budget, Governor Sununu has also included initiatives to expand uh, much-needed housing uh, here in the state. Yes, this is, of course, another issue that we see all across the headlines. I know that it's affected me because, uh, fortunately, I own my condo. Goodness gracious, would I like to move up inside? (laughs) But you look at the market right now, and it's insane. It's awful. It's so hard. We have numbers that are saying, you know, 20,000 units in the next couple years are needed, 60,000 units in the next 10 years. 
And so the, part of the issue in the state budget is a debate about funding, for sure. But there's also this debate that's happening on the margins about, okay, does the state need to step up the sort of carrot or stick when it comes to these housing issues? Does the state need to be really pressuring towns and cities to be revising their zoning laws to open it up to more affordable or workforce or denser housing? And so we saw that zoning atlas, New Hampshire zoning atlas came out a couple weeks ago and might have just been last week. And that really showed how difficult it is to find any space in New Hampshire where you can develop on less than an, one house per acre. So I, I'm curious to see if the Senate starts pushing back on that. I know that the House in particular has been reluctant to consider bills that would, for example, create a, a funding incentives for, for towns and cities that in a, welcome affordable housing, workforce housing. There's a so-called housing certification, housing champion certification program that's been debated a couple years that would give municipalities preferential access to state funds if they're taking some of these steps to welcome affordable and workforce housing. And the argument is that, okay, this is necessary because there is nowhere to build, basically. These zoning laws are way too restrictive. But on the flip side, people say, okay, this is creating this weird incentive to violate local control. It's going to give this favoritism an open door in terms of how are we determining what's, what's the best towns that are doing the best job. So the Senate has seemed much more friendly to this, the House not so much. So this could end up being another one of those final negotiation points. No question about that. And uh, you know, we, we talked about uh, uh, border security a little bit earlier in the program, but uh, what are some of the other public safety provisions that are being addressed in the budget? Well, I personally have to always wonder about uh, – is there any chance that marijuana legalization could end up working its way in? Since, as we've discussed, that has emerged as a surprise, alive topic here at the end. So I have to wonder about that. There has also been a lot of debate this year about uh, changing the, the system for bail and what's going on there. I don't expect that to end up in the budget. It seems they're kind of slow rolling that and they're not really moving forward. But it is something to keep an eye on as, as another issue that's going to carry forward. So in, in addition to the budget, uh, any other legislation that you're keeping an eye on? Well, I am definitely looking at tomorrow's vote on the Parent Bill of Rights. You and I talked about that. That is going to be a really big one that's coming up. A couple other smaller, interesting bills that I'm keeping an eye on. There was a pro proposal this year to add a $100 registration fee for electric vehicles, which is supposed to make up for the lost gas tax revenue for the roads. And it's interesting because that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but it's been this issue that's been brewing for years and years, you know, as the state is moving more towards electric vehicles, not just the state, the whole country, the world. There's a real push in that direction. How are we going to change our system for funding our roads? Because right now it comes mostly from the gas tax. So I'm very curious to watch that issue. And then another issue that I just find personally interesting is uh, there's a, a bill about game cameras, hunting game cameras that's been working its way through. And this is another bill that was debated in different versions in previous years. And so uh, there's a public hearing on that today, actually, in the house. Um, and yeah, I'm a little curious about that because it's a very interesting gray area in state law in terms of if you allow hunters on your property, 
that kind of allows cameras on your property, too, Mm. because these game cameras can be placed. So this bill looks to put some limits on that, requires permission from the property owner, requires the camera to be labeled, and then adds a, a fine if the law is broken. Interesting. Yeah, that that is an interesting bill that uh, I have never really given much thought to. But <laughs> yeah, it could be something else. I think, and it, it started out. You know, some people are. I'm fine with having hunters on my property, but then you know you're going out for a walk and you find a camera, and it can be a little disconcerting, right? You know, or or, or you're going somewhere, and I believe there was a story at one of the hearings in the past where it was a dad taking his kids to a swimming hole. And he saw a camera because, of course, that's a good way to spot animals that are coming to a water source, right? And he was just kind of uncomfortable and thinking about, like, okay, what, what, are the, what are the limits here? What are the regulations? So, yeah, it's one of those interesting sort of gray area debates that, as a policy wonk, I get interested in. And a hearing today uh, on a uh, public hearing on this bill today. Yeah, and, and public hearings are, have mostly wrapped up. This is one of, the, one of the last ones as we're winding down, so they're definitely coming down to the wire. Absolutely. Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. Anna, just to tell the folks briefly what it's all about. Absolutely dedicated to providing unbiased information about New Hampshire's issues and candidates. Want to find a bill? Come to us. We try to put it in plain, simple-to-read terms. Want to find who represents you? Come to us. We'll have all their contact information. You can see where they stand on the issues. And we have an advocacy toolkit that tells you how to testify at a public hearing, how to reach out to your representatives, how to register to vote, all that good stuff, because democracy works best when we all have a seat at the table. It it is a a great website, no doubt about it. You can read uh, most of the local papers in the state of New Hampshire and, uh, you know, the, the website news sources as well. All in one place. It's a great thing, Anna Brown. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> All right. Thanks Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Happy Wednesday. All right. Same to you, Anna. Anna Brown, the uh, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. Click on it right now. You'll enjoy it if you've never visited uh, that website before. We'll take a break. Kale and Company Live continues right after these words on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Kale and Company Live on WKXL. 1450 on the AM dial, 103.9 FM in Concord and vicinity, and 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Big night in the NBA on Tuesday as the draft lottery was held prior to Game 1 of the Western Conference Final between uh, the Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, this from ESPN. San Antonio Spurs coach Greg Popovich uh, once remarked how the franchise had already received all the luck it could possibly ask for. The two previous years, the Spurs ended up with the number one overall pick in the draft They walked away each time with a player who wound up in the Hall of Fame. But the Spurs' luck was not over. 
another lucky lottery bounce Tuesday night, winning the 2023 NBA Draft Lottery and the right to select French super prospect Victor Wembenyama and the number one overall pick. They did it again. And the Spurs owner, Peter Holt, said it's going to be unbelievable. Our future was already bright. Now it's going to be through the moon. So San Antonio has the number one pick in the draft for the third time in franchise history. And you recall the other two times? Team selected David Robinson, the Admiral out of Navy, in 1987, and Tim Duncan, much to the chagrin of Boston Celtics fans, because in 1997, uh, the Celtics had the best mathematical chance of getting the number one pick in the NBA draft, and a lot of Boston sports fans and Boston Celtics themselves were banking on the arrival of Tim Duncan. But the ping-pong balls fell in the direction of the San Antonio Spurs, and the rest, as they say, is history. And now they're going to select Victor Wenbenyama with the number one overall pick in the NBA draft, which is coming up uh, in a month or so. So at any rate, the Spurs, along with the Detroit Pistons and Houston Rockets, ended the night tied for the highest lottery odds at 14%. 14% chance of getting that number one pick. And uh, as he sat uh, on stage Tuesday night, the owner, Mr. Holt of uh, San Antonio, had an open sight line of the envelopes being opened. And by the time the Charlotte Hornets were revealed to have the number two pick, Holt was pounding the lectern in front of him and letting out a yell of celebration. So there you go. San Antonio Spurs will have the opportunity, and I'm sure they will take advantage of it, of uh, drafting Victor Wembenyama, who has been a professional player in France since he was 14 years old. Actually played a game for his team in France yesterday. And he and his family uh, watched the NBA lottery draft uh, uh, the draft lottery, I should say, watched it in Paris at uh, 2 or 3 in the morning, whatever time it was uh, over there, and had a big uh, celebration in Paris uh, for the uh, selection as the San Antonio Spurs got lucky for the third time. I, I, I said to somebody, I, I said to somebody last night be, before the draft, I said, I, I'm going to say it's fishy if San Antonio gets this pick again. And what happened? San Antonio got that pick again. Seems a little fishy to me, but I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I think it's on the up and up, or at least I'd like to think it is. But it just seems, you know, the three big men that have come out uh, in the in the uh, you know the draft lottery. David Robinson in 87, Tim Duncan in 1997, and now in 2023, Victor Wembenyama. They call him Wemby over there, and I think uh, probably we will too, because uh, Wembenyama 
is quite a mouthful every time, especially if you're a play-by-play guy on uh, radio or TV and have to mention the name a lot. Uh, Wembenyama will be a member of uh, Greg Popovich's San Antonio Spurs. Celtics, by the way, will open up uh, their Eastern Conference Final at home tonight against the Miami Heat. Team uh, split four games this year in the regular season. Miami always a tough opponent. Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler plays for San Antonio. Duncan Robinson, a native of Newcastle, New Hampshire. That's where Wentworth by the Sea is located. Duncan Robinson, a member of the Miami Heat as well. But the focus will be on uh, playoff Jimmy. Jimmy Butler always comes to play in the postseason. And uh, he has always been a problem. Last year he was in the uh, seven-game series that the Celtics in Miami had. Although it came down uh, to the final seconds of the game, as many of you will recall. And it was a missed Jimmy Butler shot that enabled the Celtics to get into the NBA championship series against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, The Warriors are long gone. Celtics are taking on Miami. And uh, after losing the Eastern Conference semifinal to the Celtics, the 76ers have fired head coach Doc Rivers. Former Celtics coach had been with the Sixers for for three seasons. Uh, Rivers has lost five straight Game 7s. Five straight Game 7s. And uh, I guess... Philadelphia thought it was time to move on, get a new voice in the locker room. So Doc now is a free agent. A lot of people have speculated about uh, Doc Rivers going back into uh, analysis on television as he did that and did it very well for a number of years between coaching jobs. And uh, others think that the perfect landing spot for Doc Rivers would be the Milwaukee Bucks, who have an opening. Why? Because Doc went to Marquette, which is in Milwaukee, and he would be uh, having at his disposal one of the great superstars of the NBA, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So it could be a good fit for Doc if he does, in fact, want to remain in the coaching profession where you're hired to be fired, and there's a lot of pressure uh, on you as a head coach of uh, any uh, any sport. Uh, you know, no matter what the sport is, there's a lot of uh, pressure on being the head coach because you have to deal with uh, some pretty temperamental athletes uh, in your profession. Uh, in the opener of the Western Final in Denver on Tuesday night, it was the Nuggets. Over the Lakers, 132 to 126, very entertaining game. Story of the game was uh, Denver's Nikola Jokic. They call him the Joker. Uh, he scored uh, 34 points, grabbed 21 rebounds, and handed out 14 assists. Now the Celtics don't match up with uh, or don't play Denver uh, very often, twice a year, maybe. Uh, and uh, we don't get to see much of Nikola Jokic during the course of the, the regular season, unless you go out of your way and uh, watch NBA TV uh, and that sort of thing. Most people don't. 
I'll tell you, he is the most, I think, the most compelling player in the NBA, Nikola Jokic. And you know what he does best, in my opinion? Pass. What a passer. 14 assists last night. He just does it like very few I have ever seen on a basketball court. All, whatever he is, seven feet of him. Big, big guy, but has a very soft touch to the hoop and to his teammates. Now, game two will be played tomorrow night in Denver. Jamal Murray added 31 points for the Nuggets in game one. Anthony Davis led the Lakers with 40 points. LeBron James wound up with 26. We'll be back. You hear that music? We've got to mosey on out of here for a moment or two. But we'll be back. Some more good stuff coming up. Kale and Company for a Wednesday right here on WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com Presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company Live here on WKXL. 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and streaming around the clock at nhtalkradio.com, which means you can take WKXL with you wherever you go. Well, Red Sox came out of their hitting doldrums last night and snapped a four-game losing streak. 9-4 win over Seattle at Fenway Park. Sox scored four runs in the first against Seattle starter and loser Luis Castillo as Masataki Yoshida tripled home Alex Verdugo and Justin Turner. He had a two-run homer, mammoth two-run blast over the Green Monster in the first inning. And Tristan Casas also homered in the first for the Red Sox. Jaron Duran had a home run uh, later on in the fifth inning for Boston. Tonight, the Sox and the Mariners will play the rubber game of their three-game series at Fenway. 2-1-1 right-hander Brian Bayo will be on the mound for the Sox. They are now at 23-20. They remain in last place in the American League East. Nine games behind the first-place Tampa Bay Rays, but only a game and a half behind the Yankees and the Blue Jays. Yankees, uh, by the way, beat the Blue Jays last night 6-3. Aaron Judge hit his 11th home run of the season for the Yankees. Eastern League last night, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies defeated the New Hampshire Fisher Cats 7-5 at Delta Dental Stadium. Same two teams will meet tonight, 635 at Delta Dental Stadium in Manchester. Want to uh, compliment our good friend and uh, frequent guest on Kale and Company, Eric Rinston Lobel. Hey, a terrific article. Uh, on the front page and continuing inside the Concord Monitor today about the uh, terrific Concord softball team. Uh, Those girls have had a uh, terrific season. And uh, right now, 13-1 on the season. But uh, he he talks to uh, all of the players individually and uh, talks about how uh, great the team spirit is, what kind of music they like, and all sorts of stuff. So 
a fun article to read uh, in today's Concord Monitor by uh, Eric Rinston Lobel. And then a piece uh, above the fold about that uh, new Steve Dupree project in downtown Concord, where they're going to tear down the current green building, the green structure, that greenhouse that sits between the Concord Food Co-op and the Bank of New Hampshire stage. They're going to uh, raise that building and uh, put up another one. And it's going to house uh, a friendly toast restaurant, apparently, on the uh, bottom floor. But uh, when the plans were originally revealed uh, for this new structure in downtown Concord, it was going to be five stories, but they've decided uh, that's a little bit too big for that particular space. So it's going to be uh, cut down to four stories. And there's going to be some housing units in it, some uh, apartment, a condo space, whatever it might be. So uh, that's going to take place uh, in the next uh, couple of years before it's probably uh, all come to fruition. But uh, Mr. Dupree is uh, at it again. Thank goodness he's done a lot for uh, this area, no doubt about that. As it turns out, this is from uh, Boston.com, as it turns out, Bostonians who left the city for Portland, Maine, may have been part of a larger trend. U.S. News and World Report slotted Portland, Maine, higher than any other place in New England in its 2023-24 ranking of the 150 places best places to live in the U.S. So Portland is number one, folks, in New England, top place to live in all of New England. Now, this was a national poll. Any guesses as to where the uh, top place to live in the entire country would be? Green Bay, Wisconsin. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Followed by Huntsville, Alabama. Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Boulder, Colorado. Sarasota, Florida. And Naples, Florida. Portland uh, was New England's only representative in the top 20. They placed seventh. All right, so they were seventh. The seventh best place to live in the entire country, Portland, Maine. But the best, Green Bay. The report listed Portland's do-it-yourself spirit, artful living. That sounds like a show on this station. And uh, farm-to-table dining as reasons for its top 10 ranking. It also cited the above-average college readiness of its public schools and below-average crime rate in Portland, Maine. According to other uh, U.S. News and World Report coverage, Portland is the fourth safest place to live in the United States and 24th on its list of the fastest-growing places to live. So congratulations to our friends in Portland, Maine, home of the Sea Dogs. They have a great ballpark. I know that. Hadlock Field, one of the best in the minor leagues, the green monster of their own at that uh, AA park. I think I might go there when the uh, Fisher Cats are playing there in July. I'm going to go over. I usually go over once or twice a year to Hadlock Field and see a game or two. A few other New England cities made the list. Boston. 44th on the list, Manchester, New Hampshire, 51st. 
fact, that was the top-ranked city to live in uh, of all the uh, cities and towns in New Hampshire. So uh, Manchester, 51st overall. Hartford, Connecticut, 56th. Worcester was 77th. Providence, Rhode Island, 86th. New Haven, 95th. And Springfield, Mass., 108th. To create the rankings, the publication categorized data from its own resources as well as the U.S. Census Bureau, the FBI, and the U.S. Department of Labor. The data were separated into four indexes assessing, I should say assessing, uh, factors ranging from average salary to air quality. Quality of life was uh, 36% of the equation. Uh, Value for your buck, 23%. Desirability, 22%. And uh, job market, 19%. So uh, there you go. That's from Boston.com. Portland, Maine takes away the prize as the most livable city in New England. So there you go. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. A delight to have you along with us. And we have many interesting guests uh, coming up in the uh, not-too-distant future here on the program. So we invite you to uh, stay with us here. Lots of great programming, lots of health-oriented program, health and wellness-oriented programs uh, throughout the day and uh, on the weekends as well here at WKXL. So many reasons to stay with us here at uh, nhtalkradio.com and lots of exciting things to come uh, in the future. And we will keep you posted on those as uh, as we move along here at uh, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And, you know, as we mentioned from time to time, we are covering more space, more airspace than we have ever covered before here on the radio station uh, with uh, some great signals now in the Concord area, uh, Manchester area, and, of course, the old reliable signal at 1450 a.m., as well as uh, nhtalkradio.com. A little while ago, you heard the uh, the commercial that was on uh, for the uh, New Hampshire Writers Project, which is coming up on Saturday, June 3rd, and uh, that's going to be an all-day event, 8.30 to 5.00. Uh, the 603 Writers Conference taking place at Southern New Hampshire University. And uh, it, it's going to feature a, a lot of uh, not only writers from uh, New Hampshire, but uh, really uh, writers from uh, all over New England as well. And uh, the all-day event is going to feature uh, a celebrity a memoir author of uh, seven, seven uh, New York Times bestsellers, Mark D'Agostino. Plus, workshops taught by literary professionals talking about the craft of writing, the editing process, and how to successfully market your book. Also, an incredible panel discussion with authors and entertainment attorneys. They will share how to pitch your book to literary agents and maybe, just maybe, get a film deal. All coming up on June the 3rd at Southern New Hampshire University nhwritersproject.org for more information nhwritersproject.org or 603-270-5400 
66. We thank you very much for joining us today. Our thanks to Anna Brown from Citizens Count, citizenscount.org, a great website. I suggest that you check it out. Thanks to Anna for being with us during the first half of the program today. And if you missed it or just want to hear it again, you can tune in this evening at 7 o'clock, just right after the 7 o'clock update. This program will be repeated. We thank you again for joining us, and we want you to make it a great Wednesday. And join us tomorrow. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Delta Dental.